Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's looking at how COVID-19 is impacting all areas of the property world. And today we're talking about rural businesses, a sector already facing significant challenges from the likes of Brexit and climate change even before this crisis hit. We've understood how to reorganise our estates and now we're sort of moving into a new phase of understanding more about what we can do on estates and what we can't and we're having to change this week by week so it's a sort of developing situation now. And we'll be asking whether the one thing rural businesses can't do is nothing. Using this time flipping on us on its head and saying, you know, what can I actually do? What can I do rather than what can't I do? And I think it really helps to have that positive mindset in not being swamped by these um, the issues and all of the problems that are going on. I'm Guy Ruddle and I'm delighted to say I have some of Savile's finest rural minds with me today. Regular listeners will be more than familiar with Emily Norton, Savile's Head of Rural Research and a part-time farmer herself. Hello Emily, how are you? How's the farm? Uh, hi Guy, very well. Uh, thankfully it's slightly wetter than it has been. Yes, good. Everyone's needed some rain and has finally got some. Rupert Clark is also no stranger to Real Estate Insights. He's Head of Estate Management in the UK. Last time he was on the podcast, we were talking about infections in trees. Now it's infections in humans. Rupert, we've uh, upgraded ourselves. We certainly have, Guy. Great to be here. And Ben Knight is today's new boy. He's a director in the estate management team. Ben, welcome to Real Estate Insights. Thanks for inviting me along, Guy. It's a pleasure to have you, so to speak. Emily, uh, let's start with you. Can you set the scene for us? What's life like right now if you're a rural business? Life right now has been extremely difficult for many of our rural clients, particularly uh, those exposed to tourism and um, consumer-facing businesses. So, so many uh, of our rural businesses rely on people uh, coming to the countryside, coming to visit houses, parks, all of that kind of thing. And clearly, those parts of the rural economy have been absolutely decimated by coronavirus and the, the, the lockdown, which has um, resulted from it. And Rupert and Ben, on the ground, out there, talking to clients and, and, and the like, how is all this manifesting itself? What, what's the feeling? Is everybody really down? I think um, I don't think people are particularly down. I think they are very concerned. Um, and I suppose what's happened here, Guy, is that We've already had a whole load of change coming at us uh, down the tracks prior to COVID-19. And if you sort of kept that simple, uh, you might put that into sort of three layers. So uh, Brexit and everything that comes with that, uh, the climate change agenda, um, and then then all the ramifications of this virus and and lockdown. So I think concerned uh, is is probably the way to describe it. I think what I've seen, Guy, is that there's been a bit of a change as we um, have dealt with a disaster that's landed on our plates on estates um, we've understood how to replan and reorganize our estates and now coming out of that period we're sort of moving into a new phase of understanding uh, more about what we can do on estates or what we can't how do we interpret government guidance and we're having to change this week by week so it's a sort of developing situation now which we're having to keep up So the reason we've got you three in particular on today is because of this sort of planning tool, this sort of, you know, look, how do you how do you strategize for the future tool that Savills has has put together for rural businesses? And when I say Savills, I mean largely you three with some with some help from a couple of others. So 
let's sort of explore that a little bit. Um, what do we think that... Let, well, let's be positive. Let's start on the good side. What are the opportunities coming out of COVID and things uh, and the rest of it, do you think, Emily? So it's a really good point because that's such part of the origination of the document was um, listening to um, these guys on the estate management side of the business talk about all of these difficulties in, um, you know, locking things down, furloughing staff, all of these really difficult, painful uh, decisions that people were going through. And I was trying to think, you know, forwards, what does this mean um, with all of these different shape recoveries, a U, a V, an L? Now, how do you take all of that information, particularly with the layers of complexity that Rupert's already alluded to with Brexit and climate change, and actually try and make sense of the situation going forward? So um, a colleague, um, Alice Rawdon-Mogg, sent this, you know, great sort of, you know, reminder of, of a simple scenario planning tool that you can use to look forwards to try and work out based on known variables so you can begin to start to plan a response. And, and it's a really useful tool because it does highlight, as you say, the opportunities and the positives. So as we well know, you know, tourism, yeah, really bad. But local delivery and community resilience have really been enhanced by coronavirus and the fact that people are staying and shopping local. So where our clients have been able to tap into that, there's been some real um, bright spots of, of good news. I'm a glass half full person for a while until I've drunk a bit more and then it'll become half empty. But for now, let's stick with half full. I'm sort of thinking about things like, uh, you know, maybe more rural living, maybe more rural working. People want you to work nearer from home. What, what sort of opportunities does that sort of stuff create? Well, we, we've heard um, uh, quite a lot about uh, people's demand to move out of cities into the, into the countryside uh, in the press. And that's we're seeing that. That's manifesting itself on the ground uh, with demand. Um, and I think it's gonna be a combination of housing, people wanting some open space um, and having realized through this sort of mass experiment of home working that we've all been through, having realized that they can do, do that, they can get away with that, they can work from home um, and therefore don't need to commute into towns in the way that they have done in the past. So demand for residential property, moving out of cities to the countryside, I think is one. And I suppose, Ben, the other one is commercial property and, and the use of commercial property. Yes, you and I had a discussion about both commercial and residential pretty early on in the process, um, looking forward. And um, we certainly thought commercial is one area that's going to be reorganised. Potentially, very, businesses have been extremely hard hit, getting a lot of support from government. But coming out of COVID with the live-work ideal, people are going to be working closer to home. And so actually the need for different types of space for people to work within is now very much back on the agenda. And it's something we were really interested in. And is that basically, you know, more farm buildings being turned into, you know, small office communities? It, it is in a way, Guy, but actually it's about how people are going to work. So office might become a bit of a traditional term. It's about um, the access to meeting space. It's also about matters such as broadband, the actual ability to be out in rural space and working um, it's the ability to uh, start up a new business and access small amounts of space for short periods of time, as well as the more traditional office space on fixed leases. So it, it's becoming a very, I think, in the future, a very dynamic way of uh, use of our farm buildings and our commercial space on estates. I, I think we're going to see uh, just a change in the way we do things. So if people are working from home in their spare room, what, what will become their home office, for example, uh, they're not going to be able to meet customers or clients in there. 
uh, or colleagues, but they will be able to, I believe, they're going to be able to go to uh, business hubs, uh, space that is developed for that purpose, where there's a decent cup of coffee, a good environment, uh, ease of car parking and so on. Uh, and I think we're going to see a sort of transition from the commute uh, to home working and uh, and then meeting in these sorts of spaces that will develop in the countryside. Guys, so just to support that, I mean, this is really borne out by the research that we've been doing across the Savills business in terms of how com- consumer sentiment is changing as a result of coronavirus. And the statistics are there. People are looking for rural properties. Uh, they're looking for more space. Connectivity is critical. But we also see this in search terms. So um, searches for words like farms and estates are up something like 50 percent on pre-lockdown um, um, levels. And they're also because of this idea of remote working. Well, if you can work remotely anywhere, why not choose to work somewhere really lovely? And so it's sort of also prompting those search terms to sort of spread from London, so to speak. So, uh, you know, a, a broader geographical benefit for people wanting to, to live across the country. I've now drunk enough out of my half full glass for it to feel half empty from now onwards. So, so, so here's the other side of the coin, so to speak. I'm mixing metaphors terribly here, but it's all very well saying there's going to be more opportunity for uh, you know farm owners or building owners or rural businesses to, to change their property, do this, that, or more people holidaying in the you know uh, and not going abroad and, and all that sort of stuff. But all of that involves money you know to to do it you've got to invest and it's a terrible time to be saying to people you know spend money borrow money and and to to rebuild your buildings or whatever isn't it i I don't think it's a bad time um the 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 challenge is that you're you're right Uh, there is a focus on money uh and cash flow will not be looking as good necessarily now as it was pre-covid but that's the short term so uh, we've got to look longer term, uh, and there is a real gap that we're going to have to plug. One of these other moving parts uh, that we alluded to earlier, which is everything to do with Brexit uh, and uh, a shift downwards in agricultural incomes that estates and farms are going to see, um, and a need to plug that gap. So if we don't do anything, if we sit tight uh, and think it's all just going to go away, I don't think it's going to look very pretty. Uh, and therefore, money is cheap at the moment. Um, so if there is capacity to borrow, we should be borrowing uh, and we should be finding some sort of entrepreneurial way to to plug that gap to generate new income. So I think investment uh, is probably the right thing to do, but it's got to be done wisely. I, I think that's really interesting. We had some good uh, examples from clients who, who may have had a, effectively a five year plan to get um, repairs or renovation type work done who you know, had a property that was open to the public and were sort of planning quite complicated procedures of works to get that work done whilst they were open to the public, who've now brought forward that work whilst they're closed. So you know, in, in that sense, it's, it's a good time to invest. It's a good time to get things done while you're not disrupting um, other um, commercial trading businesses. Just, just accept the fact of what we've got and make the most of it. The other thing that occurs to me is that, you know, it's great that businesses are starting to get a little bit more active again. And, you know, garden centres are open and, you know, maybe, you know, country houses with gardens will be reopening and all that sort of stuff. But it is true that they're going to have less capacity, aren't they? You know, they're going to be able to have fewer customers because they've got to be further apart. And it's going to cost more to protect people on those properties. That's a that's a that's a very 
high level view that actually when you drill down into it you do actually get very um, different results. Um, a farm shop's a good example where uh, you might consider that the packing people into a shop is not going to work but actually the produce from a farm shop locally uh, made field to fork uh, occurring locally in, in corn is actually allows farm shops to really thrive but the cafe remains shut so you need to look into the detail of each enterprise to really understand what is it that's restricting us coming out of covid and will it be social distancing or the way that we have to uh, reopen their enterprises or is there actually something behind the actual enterprise pre-covid that is causing that enterprise a problem so you know what we found with these discussions and the reason why we wanted to bring this document forward was to really allow people the time and space to get to the bottom of what the the issue is with that enterprise. So uh, just a big deep breath. Let's let's tackle the whole the sort of the core agricultural side of things. But it's a it's an enormous subject, of course, at the moment. You know, you've got the agriculture bill uh, with all the implications of that in terms of you know more responsibilities for farmers uh, and landowners. Uh, you've got Brexit, uh, supply chain stuff. You've got sort of. Uh, maybe more on a good, the good side, more local supply chain out of COVID and all that sort of stuff. What's the sort of big thinking uh, uh, about the agricultural sector? Does anybody really know what to do now? Uh, <laughs> uh, Guy, you've just um, kind of, you know, underlined the very reason that my job exists, uh, which is to try and make sense of all of that kind of stuff from a policy perspective. And how on earth do you make businesses decisions when all of those things are going on? Uh, but fundamentally, uh, every year, agriculture is a bet against the weather. Um, you know, so if you were particularly risk averse, you wouldn't be in agriculture to start with. So uh, inevitably, you come back to some age old mantras like there are things you can worry about and things you can control. Uh, and in farming, you control what you control. And those bigger picture things inevitably be, be things that are out of your control and, and you will have to deal with. Um, you know, smart businesses are looking to consolidate. They're looking to work with their supply chains. Uh, they're looking to eliminate unnecessary costs. Um, and, and I think, you know, th those, those are the things that you can control within, within the scope of your business, whilst those other big fluctuations, which are just huge and, and beyond uh, and any of us to really fully comprehend and get a grip on, um, play themselves out. Does anybody think that this, the, the COVID crisis, is going to have a material impact on what actually happens in terms of either Brexit uh, or trade deals in the future uh, around, you know, involving agricultural produce or the agriculture bill as it goes through the Lords or anything? Or, or are we just, are those things separate? There's, there's been a real um, demand from the industry for there to be more um, uh, protection, I suppose is the best way of putting it, within those uh, agricultural issues. And what coronavirus has done is... As much as it caused all of those issues with supply chains to start with, it's not really a food security crisis, but it, it is in everybody's collective memory as, as being something which could have really easily disrupted our ability to access food. Uh, and for many people, it's required an awful lot of creative thinking around how they access their food safely. Uh, and that really helps, I think, you know, at, at least have it in policymakers' minds that when we talk about food security, as, a, as an issue and as a concern in trade deals or in the agriculture bill, it, it's not a pretend thing. It's not something that we're scaremongering over. It's, it's a real thing that supply chains need to take into account. Uh, and for that reason, I think um, 
yeah, coronavirus is is useful, uh, if if not a direct um, uh, disruptor in certain sectors of, of supply chains in particular. Guy, I think on the ground, um, just at a, at a state level, uh, we were already facing a, I think, a major change in the occupation of land coming as a result of Brexit. If COVID-19 has any impact in, I suppose, escalating that, uh, it, it's going to affect those businesses, those farming businesses that are diversified, uh, heavily diversified and have lost substantial income. Uh, because it, it will be the economic pressures at the end of the day uh, that will cause some to hang out their boots and say, I've had enough. Um, and this just might bring that forward. Do you think that's going to happen to you? The, 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 there are genuinely people who, as a result of this, will say, I, I give up, I, you know, I just can't do any more. There the, the will be. And I think that's, that, that, that is, there is a sad side to that. Um, but if I were being glass half full uh, from an estate owner's perspective, there are opportunities that will flow from that as well. And Ben, what, what does all that mean for, for uh, prices in, 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 in the countryside? There's a continued shortage of supply coming in um, to the land market. Uh, and it's certainly um, something that's probably going to change as we come out of COVID and people feel that there's a more secure marketplace to work within. We are slightly on hold at the moment as we see how we recover. Um, there's definitely going to be a, a continued focus from uh, overseas investment, um, investment from people who are, fat, um, are attracted to a lifestyle choice of moving into a rural area. And that really is already beginning to cause a slight bounce. I've seen the statistics that Emily was referring to to the viewings of, of Savile's UK farmland website. And it I mean, is already showing a spike in interest. It's whether that actually translates into completed um, sales. The problem currently is that there is just a shortage of, mark, of land coming to the market. But if Rupert's theory is correct, um, then it'll be one to one for the next year or two. And I guess the one thing we haven't really talked about, because we, we often talk about it in other episodes of Real Estate Insights, actually, uh, are things like forestry and renewable energy and, and, or green, the green side of things. Are these, are these sort of uh, COVID removed? Actually, what, what the farmland does provide is um, rural space. And I do think that's going to become very attractive, but it also is allowing space for more renewables to come forward. And I certainly think this has got to be a real focus for farms and estates to um, benefit from the renewable schemes uh, that are out there at the moment. And clearly, I'm looking from a cash point of view, that they've got to replace a reducing BPS over the next 10 years and renewables and um, forestry and the, the use of the various different uh, environmental grants that are now coming forward really are going to benefit the states and, the, and I think it's a really exciting area to focus on when you're strategizing for the future. For my part um, you talked about environmental and uh, there is no question that um, uh, the natural capital uh, uh, side of things, um, the opportunity for carbon offsetting and net environmental gain are all going to feature highly in terms of people's strategies as they develop those for the future. And Guy, I think to, to sort of put both those sides of the story into perspective, in, in the context of coronavirus, what we've seen is this very odd situation where the oil price has fallen through the floor. So um, where, where we are pricing investment decisions off oil prices, which uh, in some cases in renewables is a situation that might be uh, long term a concern. Um, so within the renewable sector and the viability of those versus a situation where we're still trying to decarbonise energy. And so the, the 
incentive is there to keep going with that kind of project. And so provided the support networks are in place, the policy support networks are in place, that should still be really viable going forwards. The forestry one, again, you know, there are pluses and minuses. The pluses is there's still lots of environmental grants available uh, to invest in forestry creation. The minus from a timber perspective is if people aren't uh, constructing properties in the way that they have been because of an economic recession, that might impact on the value of timber. Um, however, um, sort of, you know, bearing that through, uh, the, the, the limited upside is the increased demand for pallets. Uh, wood for, for pallets because everybody's getting everything distributed now uh, and using those distribution networks. So it's very much a mixed bag on both. Now, um, we would normally do a Savile standout statistic at this stage in proceedings, but because we're talking about this sort of planning tool, you know, strategizing tool, I keep using that word. I know it's not a real world, but word, but it, it is now. Um, I thought perhaps instead of a Savile Standout stat, we'd get each of you to come up with a top tip, your top tip for, for how, to, how to work out what to do with your rural business or, or how to plan for the future. Uh, who wants to go first? Why don't we ask Rupert for his top tip first? OK, well, my top tip in, in relation to the development of strategy at a time when there are so many moving parts is to keep it simple. Um, and as focused as one possibly can. And of course, we're going to have to be prepared and able to adapt to circumstances because things are going to change. Ben, what about you? What's your, what, what's your top tip? Well, my top tip probably um, neatly dovetails just in front of Rupert's idea in that um, what I'm seeing on estates um, and farms and a, and a plea really is that people step back from the grindstone and they make time with their team to... Um, strategize and allow for a full blue sky discussion about their various ideas and their various enterprises and their assets on their estate. So they really do take this as an opportunity to review what they're doing and how they are doing things. Emily, that's a couple of hard acts to follow, but I know you've you've thought long and hard about this. What, oh, what's your top tip? My top tip. It's uh, one of my personal mantras, which has got me through all sorts of situations uh, which are you know difficult for a variety of reasons, and that is to see your problems as opportunities. That's a really glib thing to say, but simply you know um, using this time, flipping on us on its head, and saying you know what can I actually do? What can I do rather than what can't I do? And I think it really helps to have that positive mindset in not being swamped by these um, the issues and all of the problems that are going on, but simply to to, to flip that, flip those problems and see them as opportunities. And if we can do that, then we begin to bring some positivity back. There you are, you see. They're a personally useful podcast with advice left, right and centre for you. Thank you all three of you very, very much indeed for that, for your wisdom and your time. Uh, that's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If you want uh, more information, I can highly recommend the Rural Strategy Post-COVID-19 resource that we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes or so. It's available on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. It's a really, really great resource if you're running a rural business. Actually, if you're running almost any business, uh, uh, you know, it's got some very, very good advice in there. Um, if you aren't already a subscriber to Real Estate Insights and would like to become one, you can, of course, do so using your usual podcast provider. You'll be able to get all sorts of episodes backwards and you'll have future ones sent automatically to your various devices. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This is 
This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.